to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Lovely to be here after a week and weekend away. It's really great to have a break. It's really we miss the family. We really miss the family. Um, we guess we're beginning a new series, starting in Philippians today, and I sort of called this Paul's two-edged sword because you'll see why in a few minutes. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul says in Philippians one twenty-one. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And it's kind of a message of a two-edged sword uh, that. Paul is, is, is explaining how, where he is now and where he wants to be and the tension that's going on, like a two-edged sword. And for the past week, I've been turning to Philippians 1 and I've just been reading and rereading this chapter and just meditating on it, like Amy said, in preparation for this message and, in fact, this whole series in Philippians. And so I, I read through the whole chapter, but verse 21 just seemed to leap off the page. And so I've been meditating on the depth of what Paul was really saying here in verses 21 to 26, which you're going to read in a few moments. But just a little bit of background. Here is Paul uh, imprisoned in Rome under sort of house arrest it's not quite as as as, as bad as the, some of the imprisonments he'd he'd been elsewhere because he was a roman he was treated a little better but he's in prison for his faith in christ and he's writing with great passion to his beloved friends in the church he established along with silas at philippi in northern greece saying, to live as Christ, right there in prison. Well, Philippi was essentially a mini-Rome, sort of founded by Philip II. It had sort of been modelled a little bit on Rome, and then Philip II was the father of Alexander the Great, who later expanded the city of Philippi. And so being a, a Roman province, um, Macedonia was a kind of retirement area for veteran war heroes of Rome and for other key people. And uh, many of these were given land to settle in, in Macedonia. Along with all the locals, there would have been a, a real mix, mixed bag there. But being close to the springs of fresh water, uh, Philippi became the main centre of an area rich in gold. A great climate, minerals, and water. What more could you want or ask for? Well, what about purpose? <laughs> what about loving relationships and a renewed spirit in contrast to the pride of the massive Roman machine that had created it, that ruled with very little grace or mercy. And why is knowing this important? Why is this important? Because 
Right through Philippians, uh, we actually see Paul make cultural references to the makeup and the thinking of the inhabitants of Macedonia and in particular Philippi. And he contrasts them with the change, the change that happens when we begin to know Christ. How much do we reflect the culture and the values of Huntley, North Waikato, New Zealand? How much has this culture got in to our thinking and our New Zealand culture, our Western culture? I guess you could have the rings going out. You know, are we a contrast to the secular world standards? Are we a contrast to those standards? So our first challenge, I believe, as we dive into Philippians is can we, like Paul, say to live is Christ and to die is gain? So let's read these few verses, um, picking it up from verse 21, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and, and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Paul's torn. He's torn here between these two realities that he now knows in his heart to be real. Life with Christ with a natural body or eternal life with a resurrected body with Christ. You see, life without Christ for Paul was just simply not an option. After his spectacular conversion, and I just want to spend a few moments on this conversion of, of Saul, who became Paul, uh, because it's so important as the foundation for this, this passage. You see, after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, there was just no going back. The revelation of who Jesus was changed Saul's entire worldview. Up to this point, He'd been opinionated, had a mindset of legalism, and he had a really strong personality to, to have his way. He was right, and it had made him very successfully, successful, worldly speaking. And it had ruled his life. But all that changed. All that changed in a moment when God knocked him to the ground. Not sure if he was riding a horse, but um, the scripture says he was knocked to the ground. He was blinded. His eyes were blinded and he w was needing of someone. He was in need of someone to lead him into the city. This proud, proud man being led like a child into the city. 
But those three days, those three days that Paul or Saul spent in the city blind, fasting, they commissioned him for a mighty work for God to the Gentiles, to the kings, and to the sons of Israel. That's Acts 9 verse 15. That's pretty much everyone, isn't it? That was his calling to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the sons of Israel. Pretty much everyone. In a little house belonging to a guy named Judas of all names on little old straight street, Damascus. And you know, at that moment of commissioning for Paul, there were no trumpets, there were no famous people invited, no suits and ties, there was no run sheet, no big worship band playing before a, you know, a motivational message. There was just humble but obedient Ananias and a miracle healing. Those three days of fasting in the darkness changed Paul forever so that he could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you experienced that change in your life? Well, very few, if any of us, have had a conversion like Paul, perhaps, but there are some here today that have had a dramatic turnaround in heart, which we really praise God for, and, and I, I just am thankful for the, the day my life turned around. But we just want to encourage each one here that's had that turnaround, and we say, be blessed. God is with you and he's for you. Stay strong. And to all of us, I say, let's read verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So what, what changed for Paul in that little dark room in Straight Street? Well, here's just a few of the things that changed for, for Saul. When he, obviously, he got a new name. That was, that was the first thing. God gave him a new name, and I think that's important for us all. We just need to know that we're now belonging to him. He talks about being a citizen in Philippians, and uh, that was a very much a Roman thing, being a citizen of Rome, you know, really pride, a real pride thing. But he then talks of us being citizens of heaven. We have a change of value system and name and citizenship. So number one, the values change. One of the first things to change in us at salvation, as it did in Paul, was a change of what we value. What do you value most? We begin to value the gospel of Christ above our own image, above our own comfort, and above our own success. See, when Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that word worthy really means a manner of life according to what the gospel declares. I'll say that again. A manner of life according to what the gospel declares. 
You see, if our actions don't match our words, it's a sure sign that our value system is out of sync with our declared beliefs. But when we truly value knowing Christ, our actions and our words will back up our convictions. I was at a breakfast on Friday with some CAP um, people and we were just discussing how to change our communities and our cultures and cities. And I said, one of the problems we have is I think when people say one thing and their lives don't back it up, it's not going to change those that come and want to follow on. And um, that's a problem here in Huntley. And I think we need to be really sure of who we value the most. Not what we value the most, but who we value the most. Amen, brother. <laughs> Sister. <laughs> okay. Philipp, Philippians 3 verse 7. We're going to jump ahead and not to steal the thunder of, of our next few weeks, but um, it says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That's a change in value system, isn't it? It's a massive change in value system for Paul, who was very successful, thank you very much, as a Hellenistic Jew. And uh, he had changed to say that whatever he counted as, as gain, he now counts as loss for the sake of Christ. You know, people are quick to pick up on your value system, aren't they? Very soon they work out who you belong to, what you, what you like doing, what you value. I find all the time at work people rock up and very quickly they can work out that lots of swearing is not so cool. The second thing, Paul changed. What changed for Paul in Acts 9 was his vision was increased and enlarged. The second thing we want to change when we come to Christ is that we want new dreams and a new vision. Amen? And uh, we've talked a bit about dreams, haven't we? That God remembers them. He knows what we're really, what we're really desiring. And those desires change as we submit to Christ. And when we focus on God's kingdom, we begin to see how he sees and who he sees as important. And we begin to gain a new worldview. When Jesus is our life, we shouldn't sweat the small stuff. Is that you? Do you sweat the small stuff when you misplace your favorite pen? Or when you don't get thanked for a gift given, or perhaps when someone's sitting in your favorite seat? Many, many years ago, I worked for Slater's, the uh, trucking digger company up the road from us to help out for nine months. When I worked as an overseer for Colin and Bronwyn, I was amazed at how petty some of the attitudes were amongst the guys and how... um, how reluctantly, how reluctant they were to change. 
And if someone was given a different rig to drive or we needed to swap things around to be more efficient, all hell would break loose. <laughs> Some were more concerned about their personal inconveniences than the bigger picture of what would be best for that company. Let's not allow small limitations to creep into our attitude or small irritations to creep into our attitude as a church seeking the big picture of kingdom living. Amen? The antidote for small thinking isn't finding everything perfect in our life or getting everything perfect in our life. It's to lose our life into the hands of the one who is perfect. Let's just read uh, Philippians 3.8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. You see how Paul's value system's changed, his vision's changed. He realizes the surpassing value of knowing Christ, really knowing, just like Amy spoke of this morning. So many things fitted in with what I was going to say here. The third thing, three, yeah. <laughs> uh, the third thing was that the greatest change in us, really, I think, that life in Christ brings should be an urgency of heart for people to know Jesus. I think that's, for me, been pretty much the motivation for almost 50 years, to, for people to know Jesus, to come to know him that have not met him before. That has just been a huge buzz in my life and what's driven me on. The surpassing value of knowing Christ that Paul states in Philippians 8, 3.8 fully sustained him. It kept him going. It was enough. And, he, and it assured him of his salvation. But the real struggle he faced was wanting to reach more souls for Jesus before his earthly life was over. The message version says, Alive, I'm God's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus more life, I can't lose. I love that. Did you catch that? Life versus more life, I can't lose. That's the choice we face. A life in Christ now, which is just the surpassing value of that is just unreal. Um, or more life if we go to be with him. Life versus more life, we can't lose. We receive eternal life the moment we receive Christ. But to go to him now would mean that others would miss out on this gift. Paul didn't say, for me to live is constant struggle, but to die as Christ. He could have, because that was true. And as true as that was, knowing Christ sustained him through every trial to the extent that, that he could say to live as Christ. And he was still torn between going on to eternal life or staying and fighting on for others' sake. How about you and me? Where do we stand 
on this. Most of you know that some years ago I, I spent a long time in hospital and um, it was touch and go at the beginning and I, I, I so could have, I was millimeters away from, from going to be with the Lord. But he kept me for some reason and I just keep thinking, wow God, there must be something more. There must be more to do. So it's a choice, a hard choice, isn't it? Stay on or go to be with him. I've chucked another uh, category in there that I, I didn't tell Ivy and Daniel about. And, and the fourth thing that, uh, sorry guys, is that um, that changed when Saul became Paul. Acts 9 was their love for the church. I just felt to put this one in. Because in verse 27 we saw that we need to have one spirit and one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And I just want to say the enemy hates unity. He hates it when we're united and tries all sorts of tricks to get us to be apart. But we need to be one mind, one spirit. There is no perfect church. But I reckon that it's, it's amazing when we do find unity in church, isn't it? It's the most beautiful thing in the world. When we die for each other, and I mean that, we die for each other. And, um, you know, one thing about that unity is that we need to see people differently and not judge by the outward appearance. There was once a short man, five foot tall, with a head that was way too big for his body, little beady eyes, and constantly being sick all his life. And a good friend took him in and housed him for nearly 50 years because he'd been rejected in love, he'd been turned away by several attempts at romance, and this little man wrote over 600 hymns. His name was Isaac Watts. And some of you will know some of his hymns, like When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Here's this little man that nobody really looked upon favorably. Listen to his words. See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? And those beautiful words, written by a little short man who nobody sort of looked at twice. We have to see people differently. Amen? And Paul did. Can I challenge you with a short quiz just to finish with? And you might not remember all these, and I don't want you to put up hands or call out or anything, but just or answer this verbally, but I just want you to, to think about these things as I say them and maybe listen. Your homework could be to listen to the podcast with a pen and paper. Do you have a sense of urgency to share the gospel, number one? Does it burn in you to share the gospel? Number two, do you have a heart for the lost? And do you look for opportunities to share the love of Christ? Number three, do you pray for unsaved friends and family? 
Four, do you support local church vision through prayer and finance? Five, do you have a godly anger for injustice, inequality, and oppression that moves you to action? Number six, do you fast and pray for the nations, for missionaries, and for revival? Number seven, do you pray for Israel? And finally, the last one, do you long for Jesus' return? Do you look forward to Jesus' return with excited anticipation? Quite a list. Actually, it's overwhelming without the Lord's help. Amen? It's an overwhelming list without the Spirit's help. And it would be easy to say, the job's just too big. Take me now, Lord. <laughs> Send someone else. But the surpassing value of knowing Christ means that he will guide us to do what we're called to do. Like little Isaac Watts, write hymns for the kingdom for centuries to come. Can I encourage you to run in your lane and find out what your, your job is so that you too, along with me, we can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When he returns, will he find you and me doing what he's asked us to do? And if you're not sure what that is, just simply ask him today. Amen. Father, I just thank you for this word. It just leapt out for me. Lord, I just pray it would just be a light to someone here today, or many here today, that we would just see you in all your glory and say that that is worth dying for, knowing Christ. And Lord, I just thank you that you would come and, as Amy said, lay down your life for us. I ask now you would empower us to do the very thing we were designed for, the thing we were created for, the things we are passionate about and look forward to. And, and, and I just pray, Lord, that we would, as a church, just continue to be united in prayer, to be united in love, to be united in this goal of changing this world for Jesus. And may we just, with a passion, tell people how much Jesus loves them. In your wonderful name, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to